So we're continuing our sermon series talking about the human body, and it's Father's Day, so I'm tempted to talk about the concept of dad bod. If you're familiar with this, if you're not familiar with the term, it is a slang term that describes the physique, the physique of typically a middle-aged man who may have at one point in his life been athletic, um, but has become somewhat uh, soft. Uh, n- not someone who's out of shape, but, but not somebody who's uh, cut or ripped or anything like that, just kind of normal dad bod. Uh, there was a, in 2015, there was a, um, a, a university student, a young woman, wrote, uh, published an article entitled, Why Girls Love the Dad Bod. And it, of course, it went viral. This essay went viral, and in this kind of language, um, it gets into mainstream meter. Even though she, I think she wrote it somewhat as a joke, uh, but it gave a lot of hope for a lot of guys. So anyway, <laughs> happy, happy Father's Day. But no, we're not talking about that. We are talking about the human body. Over these next two weeks, we're, today we're going to talk about um, the beginning of the human body and, and early life. And then next week, we're going to look at when life ends and talk a little bit about the death of human body. And so uh, today I want to consider the question of when bodies begin, asking the question, when does a baby have its own body? Because the reality is every single one of us, uh, our bodies were formed inside of the body of a woman in the womb. And that's, uh, that is um, our reality. Uh, what we believe about this obviously has implications for what we believe about how we would treat um, human life in its early stages, including, and we're going to talk about issues of abortion today as well. And I intentionally uh, scheduled this message on Father's Day because I believe that this is not just a woman's issue, but that it's indeed a, a men's issue as well. There's those who would say, you know, you're talking about women's bodies. Isn't this a woman's issue? Isn't, aren't these issues best determined by women? And, you know, a pregnant woman can decide herself what she believes Uh, her pregnancy is, and um, as I explain it as we go today, I I hope you'll see that this really is for all of us in different ways. Because it is an issue for all of us, I want to acknowledge right up front that um, when we talk about these kind of issues, that it's going to hit us in different ways depending on our beliefs and our life experiences, our personal experiences. So for some people, this might bring up anger, in you, for other maybe guilt or shame, for some of us confusion or fear, some of us indignation. Um, So as I speak today, you may feel some of those things, and I want to apologize in advance because I can't cover every nuance of this very uh, important but sensitive and complicated issue in one morning, but I do feel like we need to talk about these things and understand them together. So And I do believe that God has something for you if you're here, that there's something about what we're going to talk about um, that the Lord would want to to show you today. And I invite further conversation. So if I bring something up and you're not sure or you're upset, I'd love to talk to you um, so we could set up a time to meet and keep the conversation going. But we're going to take a look at Psalm 139. It really is a great passage for us to use to understand these issues um, But maybe not for the reasons you'd think, not for the obvious reasons, because this text does talk about God's work of of forming human life in the womb. You knit me together in my mother's womb, a very famous and beautiful passage of Scripture. But there's a greater truth in this psalm that actually guides our understanding of these issues, and I want to show that to you today. 
So let's pray as we begin. So Father, as we, as we think about these things, Lord, I pray your protection. I pray spiritual protection over everybody in this room and anybody listening online, Lord, that you would uh, be very near us as it could, uh, whatever this brings up in us, uh, whether it's past hurts or um, fears or w- whatever it is, Lord, that you would you'd be our teacher in this time, but you are a gentle and good God to us, your children. So we pray, Lord, that your truth would be known, but that you would um, bring that protection as well as we look at your word and as we consider a difficult topic. So we give it to you, and we trust you, and we pray it all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So I want to look at, uh, kind of, look at Psalm 139, then I want to explain to you why I am uh, a pro-life Christian, a pro-life follower of Jesus Christ, and then think a little bit about how, we, how I would live that out or how we might live that out together as a community. So first, Psalm 139. Um, it, the, the psalm breaks roughly into four sections, and each builds on itself, and it's building towards something. So the first section has phrases like, you search me and you know me. It's describing how, God, how, how known we are by God, that God knows my every thought. God knows the words I'm going to speak even before they're on my lips. God knows everything about me. He knows when I'm standing, when I'm sitting, when I'm asleep. Everything that can be known, God knows, because God is omniscient. God is all-knowing. And, and, and the psalmist, David, who wrote the psalm, said, this knowledge is too wonderful for me. This is too fantastic and, and huge of a thought that God knows me so well. And then the second section of this psalm is that not only does God know me, but God is with me. That I can't go anywhere to get away from God. I could try to run. I could try to hide. I can go to the highest high of the depth. I can go into the darkness. And God is there with me. Nothing can hide us from, from God's very presence. And, and it's, it's God's... So not only is God omniscient, but God is omnipresent. And, and therefore, God is not distant from his creation. And a lot of people have views of God that God is you know, kind of out there. And he's... You know, he's, he wants me to be good, he wants me to be happy, but he's not real involved in my day-to-day life. And here, the reality is that God, no matter where you are, God is right there with you. So the third section is an obvious conclusion. If God knows everything about me and God is always with me, therefore God was with me even as my body was being formed in my mother's womb. As in that famous verse, verse um, 13, you know, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. That's the, the famous uh, verse. And the next verse, 14, you know, I, am, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. The, the psalmist is just blown away by God's wisdom and, and the vastness of God's thoughts to create human life and the beauty of that and just understanding that God was there and forming and shaping and, and that... Um, it's, it's God's wisdom that's shown in, in, in our lives. And then the conclusion of the psalm is really probably the most important part for us today. The conclusion of the, of the psalm, and it has things like, oh, Lord, would you slay the wicked, which sounds kind of harsh, but what it is is, God, you are so good, you know me so well, that I need you to lead me. I want nothing to do with those who oppose you. Your enemies are my enemies, God. I wish they were just gone. And, and then and the psalm says, search me, Lord. Search my heart. Because my heart could be an enemy of God. My, my heart can desire things that are not good for me. And that I desire, God, you show me. Is there anything offensive in my heart, in my life? That you, Show me your way. Not leaning on my own understanding. 
Search my heart. Test my thoughts. Lead me in your way, God. And that really is the key here, is when we approach any issue in life, especially difficult issues that are complex and sensitive and hard to understand, that we seek God's wisdom, not our own. A lot of times I'll get in a conversation with people, with issues, you know, when does life begin? When should we protect human life? And they say, well, I feel like it should be this way. I think this should be legal or this should be illegal. And I, and I feel like this is the way it should be. And people often operate out of that place of feelings. And we say, actually, we believe that our hearts can be deceitful and we need God to show us through his word what is true and what is right. So with that foundation, I would say, I would say you know, so why would I consider myself a pro-life Christian? Here's the debate at its core. There's really two sides of the debate. On one side of the debate, this, we would say a human fetus from the time of conception, is human life worth protecting? On the other side of the debate, would say that that fetus becomes human life worth protecting at some point in the future, whether that's before or after birth. And I think certainly after birth, we'd say that's human life that's worth protecting. But actually, most people would say sometime before birth that there would be some moment where that um, life would have value and should be protected. And really, the, the tension is between two interests. The one interest is the bodily autonomy of a woman, and we value that, um, that women should be able to care for their own bodies and um, receive the health care that they need and the medical interventions that they desire for themselves. So there's the autonomy of the woman, and on the, on the, the other tension, the other value, is the life of the baby. And at some point, the question is, at what point is there enough interest in the life of the child that it outweighs the bodily autonomy of the woman? So those are two good things that are in tension with each other, and people draw the line in different places, and that's why it's, that's, everybody has a different idea, and that's why it's contentious, and that's why it can become difficult. For me... As someone who sees the Bible as God's word, I want God's word to shape my understanding. So I look at things like Psalm 139, where it says you know, that God is knitting human life in the womb, that we see that this is human life, therefore created in the image of God and valuable and worth protecting. And someone could say, well, that's, Psalm 139 is a poem, and it's beautiful language, but it's more poetic. You don't want to put too much um, into that. If you, you know, in terms of making like a medical decision, that kind of thing. And I, in some ways, I agree. There's poetic language in the Bible, there's symbolic language in the Bible, but there's all kinds of different genres of writing. And consistently throughout Scripture, we see that, that human life begins in the womb, um, really from conception. Other passages, the Old Testament law, in the book of Exodus 21, if, if a pregnant woman is... Um, accidentally injured and that causes harm or kills her baby, then that is uniquely punishable because that is human life. So God's law addresses this. Uh, the prophets, as they're talking about God's work in the world, they consistently using this language of God forming life in the womb. Uh, our Lord Jesus Christ, you know, we don't meet Jesus in the manger, we don't meet him in the desert, we meet him in the womb. Where the angel says, this which has been conceived in you, that this is started in you, Mary. And then 
of course, famously, Mary goes to visit her cousin and, and um, goes to visit um, John the Baptist, you know, leaping in Elizabeth's womb uh, at the presence of Mary, this joy in her womb. We have, you know, life and emotion, you know, in the womb. And uh, the ancient Jews and, and the early Christians, the, the people of faith throughout history have held a strong pro-life belief and practice. Christianity came into the Roman world, uh, a world that where abortion and infanticide were practiced and in many ways broadly accepted. And it was the followers of Jesus, the early Christians, who were the ones rescuing babies uh, who had been left out to exposure. And uh, throughout history, there's just been a strong understanding of, of life and protecting life. And so that's our biblical understanding, but really science backs up what we believe. Pure science, if you say, okay, there's issues, we're talking about issues of faith, but we're also talking about issues of science. Science shows us that at conception, a unique human organism exists, and it has full human potential to grow into a child and then to adults. So at conception, there's a new strand of DNA that is different than the mother or the father. This is new human life. And then by eight weeks, as it, you know, as it develops, a baby can feel and react to pain. Uh, a baby at eight weeks has all the organs necessary to support human life developing their body, is developing with everything necessary for life. So it's not just our faith, but also science says human life, unique human life begins at conception. Now, is that life worth protecting? That is not a question of science. That's a question of faith and morality and ethics. And people, again, like I said, we're going to draw the line of when is that life worth protecting at different places. Some people say, well, birth. You know, when, when a baby's born, that's when it's its own human. And the question, though, is what magically happened in that moment as the baby passes through the birth canal or as you know, baby comes through a C-section? So you're saying it wasn't a human life worth protecting, and then all of a sudden that short distance, what fundamentally changed about that life of what was growing in that moment? And some would say, well, the baby inside is dependent on the mother until the baby's born, and then it's its own life. I say, well, that baby is also fully dependent on other people when it's born. The baby can't just be born and left out, it will die within, in a very short amount of time unless it is cared for. It is, it, you know, a baby is, is very and fully dependent on, on adults. Others would say, well, breath. You know, when, a, when, when, the, when the fetus breathes its first breath, you know, if something's breathing, it's alive, so therefore that's what life is about, breath. Um, and we say, well, that's more just a matter of location, because if a baby is born and breathes its first breath, the day before that, that baby is actually capable of breathing air. It happens to be existing in a sack of liquid, so it's not breathing air. But if that baby was brought out, it could breathe air. The lungs would typically be developed enough at some point before birth to breathe. And then there's adult humans who can't breathe on their own. They are temporarily or for some period of time put on a ventilator. Are those lives worth less because those bodies can't breathe air on their own? So it, it, it's, it, it's all these other ways of picking some point in time is, 
can become kind of arbitrary. Heartbeat, some people say, well, when there's a heartbeat, that means there's, there's life. That's evidence of life. Uh, but again, there's adult humans whose hearts will not beat on their own without a pacemaker, without some mechanical intervention to pump blood through the body. Are those lives worth less than other lives? Again, the big question is, what is that? What is that life that is growing? In an abortion, what is being aborted? What is being terminated? And I believe that is human life. So that's why I am pro-life, because life is precious to God. That unique human life is created in the image of God from the time of conception. That's, and we know that God's heart for vulnerable, it's vulnerable human life. And we know God's heart for the vulnerable and his heart for the weak. So therefore, I'm pro-life. I want to protect human life. And that's, the, that's my stance. That's the posture of our church. Um, so the question then becomes, how do we live this out? How then do we live with this belief or this understanding? I think the most important thing that we can do is to help women and help couples choose life. To come alongside them, to support them. And for many years, we've been supporting uh, Pregnancy Care Center. And uh, Francine Imony is here from the Pregnancy Care Center. And I want to invite her up to share a little bit about the work that they do. Francine? Thank you so much for inviting me to speak today and share about the Pregnancy Care Center's life-saving ministry. And happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there, your heroes. I thank you for standing up for life, protecting life. Thank you and have a wonderful day. As Pastor John said, my name is Francine and I'm the Community Development Manager at the Pregnancy Care Center. For those of you who may be unfamiliar with the PCC, we are a pro-life, Christ-centered ministry committed to saving and transforming lives emotionally, physically, and spiritually. We have been serving women, babies, and families in the Merrimack Valley for over 37 years, offering free and confidential services at our centers in Haverhill, Lawrence, and Lowell. As an alternative to abortion, we work to counter the pro-abortion cultural narrative by offering what the world does not, authentic empowerment of women and families, and most importantly, hope, faith, and trust in Jesus Christ. When a client comes into the center, one of the things that we want to provide for her is a safe, confidential place where she can come and not feel judged in any way and instead feel the love of Jesus Christ reaching out to her. Oftentimes, she's afraid. She's worried about how she will face her pregnancy alone or if she'll be able to afford a crib or diapers. We want to provide a place for her where she feels loved and cared for. When women come to us, we offer pregnancy tests and free ultrasounds on site to confirm her pregnancy education to equip women in their decision, and we pray for our clients. There is no pressure, only love. If a woman decides to parent, we walk alongside her, supporting her in every way that we can. We offer regular mentorship, prayer, education, food, 
clothing and baby furniture, and diapers until the baby is a year old and often longer. We also offer post-abortive mentoring and education for women and men who have been hurt by a past abortion in their lives. Christ is the foundation of our ministry, and the support beams are our partner churches. Free Christian is a church that is very close to the heart of our ministry at the PCC. You have been supporting us in innumerable ways for well over 20 years. And one example of this is last year after Roe v. Wade was overturned, many pregnancy care centers or pregnancy centers in Massachusetts were facing vandalism or violence. And thanks to your generosity, we were able to have security cameras installed outside of our centers so that the clients, staff, and volunteers were safe. So thank you so much. I also want to provide a number because I believe it's so important to understand the tangible ways, the really real ways that you're helping women and children in the community. So for the over 20 years that you've been supporting us, 360 women have been helped and 360 babies have been welcomed into the world. Thank you so much. It's amazing. And because you've been a friend of the PCC for so long, I thought I'd share two brief client stories. One from about 20 years ago when you first started supporting us, and one more recent story to provide an example of how you're helping women today. So one day, a woman named Sandy brought in some diapers to donate at the pregnancy care center. She mentioned that she was a client over 20 years ago. She was in college when she realized she was pregnant and her parents were very upset with her. The easy choice would have been to have an abortion, but she wanted to talk about all of her options. She came to the pregnancy care center and met with her peer advocate. She said, quote, I remember feel a feeling of relief that day. I was able to see things from a new perspective. I knew my life would not end. It would just be different with a baby. Sandy, now in her 40s, is a nurse in Boston. Her 20-year-old son is doing well and in the military. She's married with two other children. She said when she thinks back about that stressful period of her life, she just remembers the love and support she received from the Pregnancy Care Center. The second story is about Rosanna and her fiancé, Emery. They had always talked about having a big family someday. But when Rosanna realized she was pregnant, Emery would soon be leaving for basic training and she would be left alone. Doubt and insecurity crept in and she kept thinking that she couldn't have this baby on her own. Feeling lost with nobody to talk to, she called an abortion clinic. But by God's grace, the next day, Rosanna reached out to the pregnancy care center. Rosanna met with her peer advocate, Ellen, and they discussed all of her options. Ellen shared with her that sometimes our plans don't happen on our schedule, and God had a plan for her and her baby. As Rosanna left, Ellen didn't know if she would see her again and continued to pray for her. At her second appointment, Rosanna came with her fiancé, Emery. It was clear they were excited about this baby and in love. They learned about the support they would receive from the Pregnancy Care Center. 
Rosanna grew confident in her decision and began meeting with Ellen each month. Rosanna gave birth to her daughter, Chloe, while Emery was still at basic training. Ellen helped her by providing all of the material items she would need, along with education on how to care for her baby. Rosanna and Emery got married, and Chloe is now two years old. We recently caught up with Rosanna for her thoughts on motherhood. She said, quote, Chloe means the world to me. I love being her mother and watching her grow. I'm so grateful for Ellen. She helped me when I couldn't see the way out. I can't imagine my life without my daughter. As Christians, you and I have the responsibility to ensure that each of God's precious children are protected and safe. If you're interested on an individual level in partnering with the Pregnancy Care Center, here are a few areas to consider. First and most important is prayer. Please pray that all people will come to value human life as God's precious gift from conception to natural death. There's also volunteering. We need volunteers at all three of our locations, and we are especially looking for bilingual Spanish speakers to help us minister to the women. So if God's nudging you right now in your seat, you can come talk to me after the service during coffee hour, and I'd love to get you involved. Next, there are referrals. The majority of our clients learn about us from someone they already know. Now that you know about our services, please spread the word to pregnant women and women and men who have hurt, they carry hurt from a past abortion in their lives. Please share what the PCC is all about with them. Finally, you can sign up for our mailings. We love to share about what's happening at the PCC and what our prayer and tangible needs are. And we also love sharing baby photos, so I really encourage you to sign up. I'll be available during the coffee hour to chat with anyone who's interested in learning more or getting involved. So on behalf of the 360 women and 360 babies who you've supported, thank you so much. So how do we live this out together? Um, it, thank you, Francine. And I, I think one of the ways that we do that is by supporting free church missions with your dollars and continuing to support the good work that they're doing there or the other ways of getting involved that she mentioned. Um, secondly, the second way we live this out is that by having convictions about these things. And I would encourage everybody to have to understand and have convictions about what they believe about these issues. Learn read, have conversations. Um, there are some difficult questions that rise up when, when we start talking about these things. People say, well, what about, what about the life of the mother when the life of the mother is at risk? And there are times when it, it is medically necessary to terminate a pregnancy. For example, certain ectopic pregnancies would, would require that. But because I am a pro-life person, I care deeply about the life of the mother. And we all should. And um, Christians have held that view, the life of the mother. You know. But although we also know women who have willingly um, foregone their own medical treatment to allow their children to live. So I, we know one woman who, um, her doctor said, you should abort your baby and continue your cancer treatment. She said no. She stopped her treatment and she allowed her child to be born. And she died. 
But that was her choice to, to, that her, for her child's life for her own. So it's not, always, it's not always one or the other. We need to be careful as laws are made to protect um, women's health and get, to get the care they need. Um, but there is a time when death is, becomes a reality. And we'll talk more about that next, next week. Um, another question that comes up, people say, well, what about issues of, of rape and incest and some of these terrible things that happen? And I really, when I, when I encourage you to have a conviction about these things, know that you know, those types of pregnancies are, account for maybe 1% or maybe 2%. I don't know the exact number, but I'm talking about the 98 or 99% of all other abortions that happen that are not um, connected to rape or incest. And even in those cases... They're just extremely, um, they're terrible. And, but but I, I heard a, a woman speaking one time, and she said, look, I don't, know my, I don't know my father's name. I don't even know his nationality. I don't know anything about my father except that he was a rapist. And she asked the audience she was speaking to, she said, is my life worth any less than yours? And she was a pro-life advocate, obviously, but they just... Again, these are very complicated things that we need to think through. Even in cases of incest, I went to high school with kids who were the product of incest, and their lives were very difficult because it was, their story was kind of known in our town. Were their lives less valuable than my life or anyone else's life? People say, what about young girls? I was talking to somebody. They're asking me my view of, 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 of life and about abortion, and they said, are you telling me that you would tell a, a girl that she would have to ruin her life just because she made a mistake. And I said, look, that's not actually the language that I hear used. Ruin your life. You know, I know women who've given birth in their teen years, they don't typically use the language that ruined my life. They actually speak quite positively about bringing life into the world. Or if they place their children for adoption, the, the um, knowing that they have brought life and have uh, placed a, a child into a family that desired that. And there's, there's a lot of, it's, it's all very complicated, but things that we should be thinking about and wrestling with. Uh, and sometimes people say, well, is it fair to bring a child into the world when that child is going to be uh, living in poverty or disabled or unwanted? And, you know, the circumstances or the potential circumstances of, of, of the life of the child, um, you know, people say, why, why would you do that? And, and, those arguments actually are just, they're particularly offensive to me because you can make those arguments about a one-year-old or a two-year-old. Oh, look how disabled that child is. Look how poor that child is. That, does that child deserve to live? What is that life worth? What is the value of that life? But I encourage you as part of living this out is to have convictions about these things and, and wrestle with these difficult issues. Um, another thing is whatever your convictions I'd encourage you to learn to talk about these things with grace and compassion. And don't be a jerk. Um, many times it's rhetoric, pro-life rhetoric can be very unattractive. It can be very caustic and actually hateful and harmful for people who are considering abortion or who hold more of a, a pro-choice kind of a, a, an outlook. Learn to speak with love and compassion and grace. Uh, another thing you can do to live this out is to live holistically pro-life, that we don't just love uh, pre-born human life, but from what sometimes we call womb to tomb, that all human life created in the image of God is precious. So we are involved as a church with ministries that feed people who are hungry, who house people who need housing, that provide job skills for those who need it. We support those who have 
who are addicted, um, those who have been abused and trafficked, and those who need clean water. And if you look at the ministry partners we support on our web, if you look on the website, you'll see a whole range of life that we value all life, uh, including perhaps the most vulnerable life of unborn children. Um, another way you can live this out is through activism. And I don't know if this is for everybody, but I think some people might be called to a level of activism and have more of a public voice on these issues. And I think sometimes we get this posture of, you know, like, you know, maybe we should just let, we should hold our convictions, yes, but just let people live their lives. Um, you know, I would never get an abortion or I'm morally opposed to it, but, you know, people can do what they want with their body. The question, though, we have to ask is, what are you morally opposed to? What, what is it that you wouldn't do this or that you think it's somehow not right? You know, if abortion is terminating innocent human life, then the question is, who is going to stand up for the innocent? And some people are called to have a voice, a more public voice. I think this church has a history of standing up for innocent human life. And think about we're going to be involved in this Juneteenth celebration tomorrow, and our unique history uh, is about people taking a public stance. Um, last two things. One is if you find yourself, to live this out, if you find yourself in a situation uh, with, an, with an unplanned pregnancy, what I want to make clear to you is that you are welcome here in this church because we care about your life and your baby's life. And we believe that God cares about your life and your baby's life. And we want to rally around and love and care and support those who are facing these pregnancies. And lastly, to live this out, if you are someone, and I know in a room this size, and um, how the I know the statistics, that if you're someone who's experienced abortion, if you've had an abortion, if you've encouraged somebody else to, to do that, I want you to know God's grace to you. Receive the gift of forgiveness and healing. Know that we do not reject you. God does not reject you. Turn to him in faith. Let us pray. Father, whatever you're prompting in us in how we might live this out in our lives, Lord, I pray that we would be faithful to that, Lord. And I just I, I continue to pray your, um, your work. As your, as, your, as your word shapes us, as you have shown us your word and your way, Lord, that you just continue to use that, that we would be people who can truly pray that we um, trust in you with all of our heart and we lean not on our own understanding. In all of our ways, we acknowledge you and your way. We pray that you would direct our paths, Lord. We thank you that you are a good and loving Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.